If you'll turn with me now to the exhortation text, Judges chapter 16. This morning we consider Judges chapter 15 and the exaltation of Christ in the vanquishing of the foes of God's people. And tonight we will consider Samson's sin, and Samson is a type of the believer. So let's read Judges chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night in the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him to find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may, bow, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to them, the Philistines, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall be weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have told me and have not told me where your strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, 
No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. I am shaved, if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again, and after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that he said, Call for, that they said, call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, come be with us now. O Spirit, would you work in each of our hearts? Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear the truth of your word. Father, would you show us Christ and Christ crucified in this, your holy word? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have been considering 
for four exhortations now, this being the fourth, the story of Samson, and in particular, Samson as a type of Christ, a savior prophesied by the angel of the Lord before his birth to begin to save the people in chapter 14. He was set apart or holy, a Nazarite from birth. In chapter 14, we saw the picture of the dead lion in the vineyard and the sweet honey of salvation pouring forth from his side. And in chapter 15, we considered divine justice, the Savior's advent, his covenant faithfulness when he comes to vanquish the enemies of God's people. And Samson finally cries out to God for the first time in the entire narrative at the very end of chapter 15. The rock of ages is split for you and me as well as for Samson and life-giving waters flow. What a great salvation indeed. Now there are two types typically seen in the Old Testament. We see types of Christ like David, Melchizedek, Isaac, Samson, and many, many others. We also see types of the believer, like we have hinted at with Samson to some degree, but we'll now deal with more fully. Remember that Samson is listed amongst the faithful believers in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 32. I will not read the whole chapter this time. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became vigilant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and so forth. As we begin to consider Samson as a type of the believer, let us first consider Samson's sin. Samson's eyes continue to lead him into sin. In chapter 14, verse 1, he saw a woman in Timnah. In verse 2, he said, I have seen a woman of the Philistines. Now get her for me as a wife. In verse 3, he says literally, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. And here in chapter 16, verse 1, he sees a harlot in Gaza, and he went into, uh, you know, um, all of chapter 16 here is focused on the binding of Samson, which is a picture of being bound in sin. Samson has no business in Gaza, and you'd think that after he killed a thousand Philistines, he'd want to stay away from Philistine cities. But as you might expect, a sure trap is immediately set for Samson. Notice how quickly sin will ensnare the believer. He has really already been captured. His sin imprisons him, 
and he doesn't even know it yet. What a sad state for the believer to find himself in. When we sleep, our spiritual enemies do not, says Matthew Henry. Never is the death of the sinner more certain than when he is asleep in his sin. And here we find Samson asleep in his sin and oblivious to the danger that he is in. Matthew Henry says, Satan ruins men by rocking them to sleep. Beloved, do not sleep in your sin. Do not recline in the worldly comfort of immorality. Do not allow your eyes to lead you astray. Find no comfort in the arms of the world, not even for a night. Matthew Henry says, If we sleep in the lap of our lusts, we shall certainly wake in the hands of the Philistines. And this is exactly where we find Samson. Now, my son tells me that I have not done a good job of explaining how a Nazarite could touch a dead body. Samson kills a lion in chapter 14. He eats honey from a dead lion. And then he kills 30 men in Ashkelon. And then he takes a fresh jawbone of a donkey, a dead animal, and he kills a thousand more men. As We've already said that the law of the Nazarite was the type of the New Testament believer, a person consecrated a person that had consecrated themselves to the service of the Lord. They were marked out by their behavior specifically, not coming into contact with the fruit of the vine, not cutting the hair, and only upon completion of their vow would they shave their head. But they were also not to come into contact with the dead or even the presence of the dead, or even be in the presence of the dead. If an Israelite was to come into contact with the dead, they must cleanse themselves, any Israelite. But if a Nazarite was to come into contact with the dead, they were to restart their vow. This was a sign of the constant need for repentance and the need for Jesus Christ to taste death once and for all that we might have life. So why does the narrative make nothing of Samson being a Nazarite, touching dead bodies, going into a vineyard, uh, these things? And the answer is, I don't know. And none of the commentators answer this question with any type of satisfaction. And the answer is not obvious from the text. I'm sure everybody will have an opinion after. But I do have an idea of how Samson, a Nazarite, could come into contact with the dead body. We're still considering Samson's sin. But as we do that, let's turn to Mark chapter 2. Starting in verse 23. You're all very familiar with this. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him? How he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar 
the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave them and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Similarly, the Nazarite was made for man, a picture of the believer, a picture of our sin, need for repentance, and the need for Christ's atoning work as the sacrificial lamb. Samson's contact with the dead is a picture of his sin also. There is no attempt in the passage to hide Samson's sin. It's a glaring at us in the face, even more so here in chapter 16. Consider, beloved, that when Samson comes into contact with the lion from whose side the honey flowed, it was Samson's sin that put him in the vineyard in the first place. The Nazarite was separated from the world to a certain extent because of their consecration to the Lord. They're a picture of the holy nation being built by the Lord, which is why we are told not to love the world. So as a first point, do not love the world. We consider this, we considered this morning that worldly success is not true success. Part of the point here is for the people of God, for the people of God is to remind them that they are to be separate from the world, called out, holy, Nazarites to God. Again, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Doesn't Samson himself fall in love with the world throughout this narrative? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life all describe Samson. Samson lusted after the flesh, and his wife was taken from him in chapter 14, and she was given to his best man. And then she was murdered, burned in an ironic twist by the Philistines in chapter 15. The lust of the eyes brings Samson into constant sin. And by the end of chapter 16, his eyes are taken from him. And finally, his life is taken from him, the pride of life. But because of Christ, the true and perfect Savior of God's people, Samson abides forever with God. Samson is not perfect, and we are meant to grapple with his moral failings to some extent. This is a call, beloved, from sin to Christ. Consider the great grace of God in Samson's life. As Samson's wife is taken, as his eyes are taken from him, and even his life is taken. Can you see the the kindness of God in these trials leading Samson to salvation? So, What if you find yourself in the hands of the Philistines, trapped by your sin in the sinful town of Gaza?
I tell you, repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Should you awake from your slumber and find yourself in the lap of sin, you must flee. Flee like Joseph from Potiphar's wife. For it is far better to be in an Egyptian jailhouse than in the prison of your own sin. To whom shall you flee? Flee to that angel of the Lord who comes to you in your obscurity and barrenness, who turns your bitter, the bitter smoke of your offering into the sweet aroma of atonement. Who is his name? It is wonderful. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Flee to Christ who humbled himself. Quoting the larger catechism question 46 here, or answer 46. Emptying himself of his glory, he took upon himself the form of a servant in his conception and birth, life, death, and after his death until his resurrection. For your sin and for my sin. But that is not all, praise God. The story does not end with Christ's humiliation, his birth, his life, his death on the cross, his feeling and bearing the weight of the wrath of God. These are all wonderful and relate to the costliness of our salvation. But even our salvation is not about us. Our salvation is about the glory of Christ. In his execution of the office, of his office, of the king. Where he powerfully orders all things for his own glory. The humble servant has been exalted. Beloved, in this Christ, believe the exalted Savior who will come again in glory to judge the sins of the world. For it is only belief in the Lord and Savior that will save your soul from the wrath of God. It is only belief in this Christ that will allow you to burst through the gates of hell. Only with Christ and find your freedom in the promises of the Father. So complete is our victory over sin in Christ that the gates of city imprisoning the gates of the city imprisoning Samson along with the gateposts are completely uprooted, utterly demolished. Where sin was to meet a sure end of this believer, Christ makes a way. The gates of hell shall not prevail. But to where does he go? To the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Remember that Hebron is where Abraham bought land in the promised land as a burial ground in Genesis chapter 23. Jacob, renamed Israel, is buried there. This facing toward Hebron is a reminder of God's faithfulness to his promises. The promised land has been deeded to God's people. What a picture of salvation and God's faithfulness in the face of wanton sin. Should you find yourself in the lap of sin, turn to Christ. So next we see the deceitfulness of sin. Hearts continue to be in view as we look at Delilah. It's uncertain whether Delilah is a Jew or a Philistine, and the text doesn't tell us. But she has the heart of a Philistine, Matthew Henry says. We see in Delilah that God gives Samson over to his sin for a time. He loves her, verse 4. She entices him, verse 5. 
She manipulates him, verse 10. He's so taken by her that he shares with her all his heart, verse 18. Then she lulls him to sleep on her lap in order to shave his head. Samson's heart is stolen by sin and lust. Consecration to God was his strength and the true source of his power. There is not real or natural power in the hair itself. But we're to see with spiritual eyes the spiritual power of those things repudiated by the world. And we'll come back to that thought in a minute. You might ask, how could Samson not see this coming? And that would be a good question. Delilah even tells Samson that she intends to bind him that he may be afflicted. Look at verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. The answer is that Samson does see this coming. Which is why he deceives Delilah. He wants to have his strength in consecration to God, but he also wants the lusts of his heart. Samson wants his faith, and he wants the world. He tries desperately to have both first telling her to bind him with seven bowstrings. Then seven new ropes that have not been used. Then he gets closer to the truth and tells her to weave his hair into seven locks. And then finally, verse 17, he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. He told her all his heart. The truth is, beloved, that Samson does see this coming, but he's powerless to stop it. He knows that she intends him harm. He probably even knows about the vast sum of money. Remember, 1,100 pieces of silver from each man. He knows that she intends him harm. She has been promised all this money, and she tells him that she intends to do him harm. And then she calls the Philistines three times to afflict him. This is the deceitfulness of sin on full display for us. Paul says in Romans 7, I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Samson's eyes have been filled with lust. His heart has been captured by sin. Sin will lull you to the sleep on the lap of your paramour. He knows that this will destroy him, and he cannot help himself. He knows that his affliction is imminent, but he cannot refuse. His lover is sin, and she beckons to him. 
and he must answer her. He shares with her all his heart. Satan ruins men by rocking them to sleep. So next we see the secret of Samson's strength. The strongest man meets his end. Sin has conquered him, or so it seems. He has been shamefully shaved, betrayed by his love. He is a man, after all, just like any other man. Look at verse 17, the last half. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson is just like you and me. Is there any... Is there truly such great power in Samson's hair? No. The secret Samson's strength is found in his consecration to God. Matthew Henry, I believe, says this the best. He says, His consecration to God was to be his strength, for he was to be strengthened according to the glorious power of the Spirit which wrought in him mightily that his strength by promise, not by nature, might be a type and figure of the spiritual strength of believers. Samson was holy, set apart, a Nazarite, consecrated by the angel of the Lord from the very beginning. Look back at chapter 13 as a reminder. Verse 5. This is the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate. Jesus Christ, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Do you see that the secret of Samson's strength was his consecration to the Lord? He was holy to the Lord, because it was the Lord himself that declared him to be holy. The secret to Samson's strength isn't in his hair, children. It is in the word of the Lord and the power of the Spirit to save. Samson's strength is the strength of the believer in Christ. Just like Samson, you and I have been set apart, called out as a holy people. We are spiritual Nazarites, in a sense. You'll remember from number six that if a Nazarite were to come in contact with a dead body, that they must shave their head and start over. But what else? Let's look back at number six. Verse nine. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, that is, beside the Nazarite, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him. Because he sinned in regard to the corpse, and he shall sanctify his head that same day. 
He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Two little birds here are presented. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Two little birds here are presented. This is not the only place in the ceremonial law that two little birds are presented as a sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 14, on the day of the leper's cleansing, a picture of the man in sin. On the day of the leper's cleansing of the incurable disease, two living and clean birds are to be presented to the priest. It's a beautiful picture of the cleansing of sin. In that case, one was chosen for life and one was chosen for death. God's sovereignty over life and death. When a man cured of an incurable disease finds himself to be cleansed, the priest goes to him in Leviticus 14. The priest goes to him outside the gate for he cannot come into the city. It's the priest that goes to him. Two little birds are offered and it is the priest that declares him clean. This is the background of the two little birds in number six. As an offering for when the Nazarite comes into contact with the dead body. The dead body representing sin. When you, Christian, find yourself in sin. When you awaken in the lap of your heart's wicked desires. Betrayed by your love and all your strength is gone. When the world cheers in victory over you and rejoices in your moment of affliction. Let's consider that. Judges 16, verse 23. When the world cheers in your moment of affliction. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. What shall we do? What's our response when the world is gathering and cheering our victory? When the world is merry and rejoicing in the midst of our affliction? What does Samson do? Samson cries out to the Savior another time. Here, Samson prays. Verse 28. And Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple. And he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on, the, on his left. 
Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. Matthew Henry here says, The strength which he had lost by his sin, he, like a true penitent, recovers by prayer. Samson prays for vengeance on the Philistines. Now there's something very satisfying about this. But there's also something missing. Remember that the angel of the Lord in chapter 13 said that Samson would begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And part of the point of this narrative on Samson is to point us to Christ, but also to make God's people long for Christ, of which Samson was only a type. Samson prayed at his death, as did Christ on the cross at his death. While Samson prayed for vengeance, Christ prayed for forgiveness. Samson's eyes were blinded, but Christ's eyes were wide open, knowing exactly what must be accomplished. Now there's another beautiful picture of the type of the Christian. And I wonder here if you have seen it. I didn't see it until this afternoon. Verse 31. And his brothers and sisters... And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he had judged Israel 20 years. Do you remember the wife of Manoah, the barren woman with no name, to whom the angel of the Lord appeared? This woman with no name is told by the angel of the Lord in chapter 13 that she is to observe the Nazarite laws. This woman, barren, is to have a son. And she is a type of the believer also. While this is not a promise of children to every barren woman, This is a beautiful picture of the fruit of faith for the believer. This wife of Manoah, barren and obscure to history, is not lost to Jesus Christ, her Savior. She sees him face to face in chapter 13, and she will see him again in glory face to face. Praise God. I'll close on Samson with the words of Matthew Henry. Christ was plainly typified. He pulled down the devil's kingdom as Samson did Dagon's temple. And when he died, he obtained the most glorious victory over the power of darkness. When his arms were stretched out upon the cross as Samson to the two pillars, he gave a fatal shake to the gates of hell. And through death, destroyed him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. And here he exceeded Samson, that he not only died with the Philistines, but rose again to triumph over them. Praise God. 
What a Savior and what a great salvation we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us rise now together to sing a hymn of response, Trinity Psalter number 469, Who Are These Like Stars Appearing?